<laughs> good morning, church. How are we? We good? Uh, I want to uh, encourage you. Uh, last week, Holland was up here preaching, and uh, if you're new to Renew, it's one of our goals to get more people on this stage speaking to you. I know... Um, Sometimes you could get tired of me, uh, and so I think it's very valuable to get other people up here developing other people's gifts and having other people share uh, from the scriptures uh, for you. I just think it's a high value for us as a church. Last week she talked about the habit of generosity, and she was awesome. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. And I love the fact that she reminded us that these habits that we're talking about, these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about, uh, aren't just like for the sake of making you a better person. They're not just for the sake of like checking things off of your list. Oh, here's the Christian thing I gotta do. I gotta, I gotta be generous, whatever that means. I'm not really sure, but I'll give five bucks to something. Uh, I'm not really sure what it looks like to pray. I'm, I'm not really sure what this looks like, uh, but, but I'll, I'll pray for the five minutes and, and I'll check it off my list and I'll go about my day and I'll feel really good about myself and, and feel awesome that I accomplished something. And hey, look, mom, I'm a good Christian. I don't know where that came from, but uh, I love the fact that she talked about this is more about cultivating a relationship, a dependence with Jesus. That's what it's all about. Everything that we do is about that. How do we set up these practices in our life that gives us rhythm, that gives us routine, that gives us something that we do on a regular basis that keeps bringing us back in conversation with Jesus? It's not about just going to church. It's not about doing a devotional. It's not about reading scripture. It's not about praying. It's about all of that, but it's more about your relationship, your walk, your conversation with your father. That's it. So if you're like sitting here through this habit series, you're like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this now. I got to do this now. I got to do this now. You're looking at it the wrong way. If it feels uh, oppressive or heavy, Just pick one and focus on how that habit brings you into relationship and conversation with Jesus. That's it. Next week we end this series, but we begin a series on the book of Jonah. And this last Wednesday started a season of Lent that is in the Christian calendar. Lent is a period of 40 days before Easter leading up to Easter that is an invitation for you and I to really take a step back and kind of assess our life. There's a couple times in the Christian yearly calendar that as Christians, as churches, we take a step back and it's a way to kind of pull ourselves out of the everyday, out of the routine, out of the job, out of the grind, and pull ourselves back and take an honest, sober reflection. And Lent is all about like, what am I attached to that's not Jesus? 
What am I looking to? What am I putting my hope in? What am I putting my trust in? What, what is my relationship with something other than Jesus? What does that look like? This is the season of Lent leading up to Easter so that we can confess, so that we can repent, and we can celebrate what Jesus did on the cross in resurrection in sending the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? Church, we got to wake up. (laughs) That's like good news for two people in here. Let's go. Let's go. Um, When I was 17, today I want to talk about confession. I know everybody's favorite topic, right? The habit of confession. What do you think of when you hear the church, the pastor, talk about confession? What? Ugh, right? Oh, no. Anything else? Is it generally Catholic? Is it generally positive or negative, your feelings about confession? Negative, right? Oh, man. I've got to drag out all my dirty laundry and share it to something or someone. And I don't want to do that, so I'm never going to do that. So I'm going to ignore that little habit that we're called to do as Christ followers. But, but I hope today we, we can kind of change the dialogue a little bit about the habit of confession because I think this is probably one of the most important things that we can do as Christ's followers and we're called to do, invited to do. In fact, it's the foundation of our very faith. Like, like what do you have to admit before you follow Jesus? I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Right? Like, like following Jesus is the universal sign that you need something else besides you in this life. Like you are not cutting it. What the world provides is not cutting it. And what you need is something other than yourself. That is Jesus. So foundationally, I think we forget this as Christians, all of us, as we follow Jesus, admit that we are broken, we are fractured, our relationship with each other is broken and fractured, our relationship with Jesus is broken and fractured, and the very uh, confessing of that, and putting our faith in Christ, brings us back into relationship. Oftentimes we like we we shy away from this topic and we ignore it and, and we view it as something that's negative, something that is bad, or something that is so painful, right? And I'll admit, confession is hard. It's hard work. Uh, when I was seventeen, I uh, was driving in a parking lot. And I was going along, and uh, I don't remember, like a cassette tape or something fell. If you are like, I don't know, 30 and under, you don't know what a cassette tape is. It's okay, look it up, you Google search it, you'll learn a lot about history. Uh, and that fell on the ground, and so I bent down to pick it up. Anybody see where this is going? Bam! I hit another car just drove right into him. Completely my fault. In the parking lot. I got out. I was 17. It's my mom's car. I was freaking out. 
right? And, and we're talking, I give the guy my phone number. I literally said this, hey, if there's any way that we can do this so my mom won't find out, I'll do that. Like there wasn't any damage to my mom's car, at least none that I thought she would see. And there was a dent in his car. And I was like, please, if there's any way that we could take care of this without her finding out, that would be my preference. Because I know what's going to happen if she finds out, right? What's going to happen? She's going to get angry. She's going to ground you from using the car. Maybe she'll make you uh, pay for it. Like all these negative consequences will happen. So I was like, please, whatever you do, just here's my cell. I didn't have a cell phone then. Cell phones didn't exist. Here's my phone number. Like here, maybe I give him an email or something. I don't know. But I was like, please, any way we can keep this from my mom, that would be great. So I get home, act like nothing happened, right? You ever go into the house and you know something's changed and you're trying to keep it together and just act normal? which makes you automatically not normal. But my mom had no clue. So I went like two or three days, maybe four days, and just kept this inside. I was like, great, she's not finding out. This is amazing. The guy called, hey, uh, I I took it to the auto body shop. It's going to be $3,000. Oh, my uh, Brown's chicken job doesn't pay for that. Uh, I don't know what to do now. So uh, I, I was being torn up from the inside with guilt uh, and shame for not telling my mom this. And now I'm in a little bit of a bind because I don't have $3,000. Frying chicken is not paying me $3,000 and I need some help, right? So finally, I muster up the courage and I go up to my mom. Hey, mom, um, this happened. I didn't tell you. I kept it from you. I'm sorry. How'd she respond? Way better than I thought she would. (laughs) She responded with grace. Thank you for telling me. I can see that it's hard for you to confess this. Called the insurance company. And here's like the, the justice of God working out. I don't know if that really is, but... Uh, called the insurance company. It turned out the guy was giving us a fraudulent claim. So it all went away. We didn't have to pay anything. But what did I learn from that scenario? It's a scenario that you and I face all the time, right? We think something or we do something. We say something. We stumble into something. This habit keeps starts growing inside of us, we start running towards this rather than running towards Jesus. Like, like you could put all the things over here. I'm running towards this. I'm, I'm getting worried. I'm getting anxious. I'm looking at computer screens uh, rather than looking to Jesus. I'm shopping. I'm eating. I'm whatever we run to that's not the creator. We tend to worship the created rather than worshiping the creator. The problem with this is it just keeps leaving you empty. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there where there's something, something we're ashamed of, something that if it was put on this screen, we'd be embarrassed by. 
something that we would hold on so tightly or not tell anybody because we don't want so-and-so to know this because so-and-so is going to think less of me. Maybe they're not going to love me. Maybe they're going to walk out. Maybe they're going to treat me differently. And we all walk around with this and we act like we don't. It's quite amazing. Because really, remember the foundation of Christianity. I am broken. I need Jesus. At the baseline, we all agree that we've got some things to confess. I turn you to Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13 uh, says this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I love when the Bible is just like an ancient document that isn't relevant. Whoever conceals their sins struggles, right? Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the person who confesses finds what? Mercy. In the Hebrew language, this word confess is yada. And it means to speak, to throw, to cast out. And it's the idea that there is something inside of you that you have to get rid of. It also means to declare something. There's kind of two meanings here in the Hebrew language. To declare something or to throw out and cast out of you. So we all know confession. That can be taken as we need to declare something. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I confess that war is brutal, evil. I confess that hatred is wrong. We all can get around these things that we all come together and confess are true. But then there's this other meaning. Confession is this this thing that's inside of you that is eating away from the inside that you just have to cast out for your own survival. Because the more you keep it in, the more it eats away at who you are. So where are you at in your practice, your habit of confession? Is this something that you do on a regular basis? Is this something that you even feel is necessary? to cast out, to get rid of? Or is it something you're afraid of? Or is it something that has always come with negative consequences? And so you run from that. Or is it something that you associate with something else that's not beneficial or it's all rigid or all uh, tied to religion and all this stuff? I want to invite you to start thinking of confession differently. So I want you to 
think of something, a thought, an action, an idea that has been living in your head, that you know is not from Jesus, or you know something that you did that defied one's trust, someone's trust, or you did that like, you just feel horrible about. Like, get that thing in your head. I want you to think of that. If you need to, take out a Connect card, write it down. If you need to, get out your phone, pull out your notes, hide it like this, and type it out. Because something happens in us with Jesus when we confess, when we cast it out of us. See, when we keep it in, it holds power. It fuels shame. It fuels bitterness. Turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Uh, David wrote this psalm, and and I'll just read it, and then we'll walk through it a little bit. Uh, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Okay? Put that in your brain. Blessed is the one. Blessed are you. Blessed are we when our transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. What happens when you cover something? You can't see it anymore, right? Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. So he makes this statement. It's this positive statement within his relationship with Jesus. I am blessed when my transgressions, my sins are forgiven. I'm blessed. My sins are covered. I can't see them anymore. They're gone. They're hiding. I'm blessed when uh, those that sin, uh, the Lord does not count it against them, whose spirit is no deceit. And then he talks, he almost zooms in on this personal experience. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. He's talking about this process where he didn't confess. Something was going on in his life. Maybe he did something. David did a lot of... Shady things. So maybe he did something, or maybe he was thinking something, or maybe he had this idea in his head that was rattling around, but he was talking about this time, whatever it was, where he didn't confess what he was struggling and dealing with. And what was the result? Anguish. Torment. It's like this thing eating eating away at your insides. 
producing shame, producing guilt, producing all these negative things. I'm not a good Christian because I did this. How can Jesus love me? If, If Jesus knew I did this, he would cast me out. He wouldn't love me anymore. Guess what? He already knows what you do. this person finds out they're going to leave if this person finds out they're going to think less of me slowly eats away at the inside I don't don't know if this illustration makes sense, but it's fresh in my head because it happened last night. So, last night, uh, we have an issue at our house that the sloping around the foundation goes towards the house instead of away from the house. So, if you've ever owned a house or, or you've ever had sloping like this, what happens in the, we're not in spring yet, but it was raining and things were melting and there was water. What happens when the ground is sloped towards your house what happens? Water tends to take the path of least resistance and settle near your foundation. So at 10 o'clock last night, my daughter comes up. Dad, there's water coming in my room. Great. Go in a room. There's water just coming in from the wall on the floor, and it's just making a huge puddle in a room. So we're scrambling. We're getting towels. We're doing all this. If, if you know If you've been around Renew for a while, you know this isn't our first time that this has happened. Yes, this is a new experience. This is not me retelling the old story. This is a new story dealing with the same issue. So uh, I go outside eventually. We're trying to sop up all the water. I go outside because if you don't get to the root of the problem, the symptom will keep happening. So I've been through this before. I know enough that if all we do is try to sop up the water that's coming in, it won't end for a long time, right? Because you're not dealing with the source. And so I go outside, I see there's water pulled up next to the house. I go, oh no, what do we do? The next two hours, I'm trying to figure this out. Shop vac, vacuum it out. Take it away, cast it out, keeps filling back up. I think I took nine trips with the shop vac. It was amazing. But this is what I want us to get from that. When I dealt with the issue, the symptom went away. When I finally figured out how to stop the water from pooling next to the house, when I finally took care of that, there was no more water coming in through the basement. When you take care of the source, when you take care of the issue, the symptom goes away. So David is sitting here, keeping something inside, and it's eating him from the inside. It's causing bitterness, shame, it's hurting his identity. There's all these things that it's causing. And then David says this, then... In verse 5, I acknowledged my sin 
to you. I did not cover up my iniquity, my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So David moves from sopping up the water that's coming inside the house and he walks to the outside of the house to see where the water is coming in from in the first place. And then he confesses. He says, I will no longer hide from you. Because I realized through this process, when I was harboring this anger, when I was harboring this bitterness, when I was letting this shame just take control of my life, when I was looking to all these other things for my identity, rather than Jesus, it's like I was sopping up water from the inside. And it was tearing me up. It was eating me alive. And what's the next line? I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the Lord forgave. The Lord forgave me. And the guilt of my sin. He's free. Right? He casted it out. Those that keep it in don't prosper, but those who cast it out, confess it, get it out. Find what? Mercy. Find forgiveness. Find relief from guilt and shame from their sin. It's bringing you into the right relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you've experienced this. I have. When you keep it in, it tears you up. kills you from the inside. But when you confess it, you can start to find healing. I have a relationship, um, and in that relationship, uh, I get frustrated rather quickly. Anybody have a relationship like that? Don't lie. Come on. We can be honest. Sarah's like, I got one. I got one. So I was talking with my counselor one day, and I was talking about this relationship, and I was like, hey, uh, I, I need to figure out why do I get so angry right away in this relationship? Like this person could say something, this person could do something, and immediately I get frustrated and angry. And so as any good counselor does, he just asks a bunch of questions that I don't want to answer. And we get to the spot where he starts to dig up in me. Well, there's all these feelings that are associated with this person from the past. And his whole point, he said, I want you to practice this. I want you to get in the habit of doing this, is start to acknowledge what you are feeling and thinking. Acknowledge the hurt from the past. When you're in a relationship with this someone, when, you're, when you get frustrated, when you get angry, and, and there's something that, that sets it off, try to figure out why you are feeling and thinking that. And as I've gotten into the habit of this, it's really confession. 
I'm upset because of this. This is reminding me of that. And, and as I confess these things, I am able to be in relationship with this person and show mercy and compassion. See, David uses three different words here for sin in Psalm 32. He uses uh, the word, one of the words for sin uh, is, has to do with the idea of this transgression, this crossing a line. And that's literally, I know something isn't right, I'm going to do it. I know something isn't of Jesus, I'm going to do it. I know it's not right. I know it's not honoring God. I know it's not going to do something good inside of me, but I'm still going to do it. I'm going to give it to this temptation. I'm going to do this. I know it's not right. Another word he uses for sin literally means falling short or missing the mark. Think if you are on a, like shooting a bow and arrow and you're trying to hit a target and you keep missing the bullseye, that's the word that David is using for sin. And then the other word that David uses for sin is that of iniquity, which is more associated with his brokenness as a person. It's not necessarily related to some particular action, but it's just related to his overall brokenness. And I love that he uses all three words. Because he's saying, my sin is made up of things that I do. I know is not God honoring. My sin is made up of just me not being able to hit the mark in general. And my sin has to do with my own brokenness. If you want to put it in terms of Paul, my fleshly desires. And he's saying, I confess it all. I cast it all out. And what's God's response? You're forgiven. You find mercy. You're my kid. I still love you. That's not going to change. I paid the price. I covered your sins, with my blood, my death, on the cross, rising again. Your sin, your iniquity, your brokenness, your transgressions that you knowingly do is all covered in relationship with me. Is that good news to anybody? So I don't know why I run from confession, (laughs) right? Why do I run when I do something, think something? Why do I run from Jesus? Why do I run from others when I know that my Father's going to forgive me? That I know relationship's going to be restored. I think that's a central question that we all have to wrestle with. And I think it goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve. 
believed the lie that God was holding out on them. That there was something more out there that would satisfy them and give them knowledge and power than God. What happened? What was their initial instinct? They knew they were naked and they hid. They also blamed each other. (laughs) But they hid. God was walking. He said, hey, where are you? What happened? And what did he do? Forgave them. He covered them. So what are you hiding? In the New Testament, we see all sorts of stories of Jesus where he basically has an encounter where somebody confesses. And through that encounter, they're healed. One of them is John 8, the woman caught in adultery. She's in the road. People are judging her for her actions, which were kind of rightly judged in that context, in that scenario. According to the old law, Jesus comes up, hey, what's going on here? They try to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, uh, if, you're, if you're clean, if you haven't done anything wrong, go ahead, cast the first stone. Jesus points out their hypocrisy, their pride, their arrogance for thinking that they can play God. So they all leave. And Jesus is left with this woman. He gives her the truth. Stop living like this. Go and sin no more. He says, you are my daughter. I love you. You're forgiven. Those that confess find mercy. They're brought back into relationship Yes, stop doing the thing that's causing you to hide in the first place. But there's grace and mercy there. So, David, I'm doing this over and over and over again. And every time I come to Jesus, confess, I cast it out, I'm forgiven, clean slate, sins are covered. Back in relationship, in relationship, walking with Jesus, slowly giving me power. Every now and then, I stumble back in, but slowly lean on Jesus, slowly he's transforming, so slowly he's bringing me to the place where that's no longer going to become a temptation. As I deal with what's inside, deal with the fact that I'm chasing the created rather than the creator. So, worship team is going to come up.
Amen. Thank you, Karen. James 5.16 says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful that is to be reckoned with. So what are you hiding? Confess it. Maybe you need to write it down on a connect card and put it in the box. Nobody else is going to see it. Maybe you just need to have a conversation with Jesus. Or maybe you need to go to somebody and tell them sorry. I want to encourage you, take the step. Let's all stand together.